0: Welcome to FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. This sermon features FaithBridge favorite Duffy Robbins and was recorded on Sunday, June 20th. wanna thank you for tuning in and if you live close by and are ready to visit, we'd love to meet you in person next Sunday at either nine or 11 a.m. And if you can't make it in person, join us live online at faithbridge.org live. Here's Duffy. Have a seat, isn't that an amazing story? I mean, I love that. Just just one couple whose choice of church uh, in authentic faith started this chain reaction of, of grace that impacted their whole family and, and other households as well. I mean, I just, I love that story. Praise the Lord, right? Fantastic. And uh, yeah, thank you. You know, and we see this over and over again. You see it over and over again in scripture. God works in, in surprising ways and unlikely people through unexpected Moments to work miracles of grace and wonder and transformation. In fact, last week's sermon, uh, we saw that. Remember this with this desperate uh, mother who saved her child, and, uh, and 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 this week again we're going to see the exact same thing with a desperate father who saves his family. So if you have a Bible. Uh, open it with me, please, to Acts chapter 17. Excuse me, Acts chapter 16. Or you can open it to Acts 17. We just page back a little bit. Uh, Acts chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. These folks will be happy to see that you get one. Acts chapter 16. Um, Kyle, are you in here, by the way? Is Kyle Glass in here to this service? I saw him Outside smoking a minute ago. Anyway, I uh, no, just I mentioned that because uh, you know it's just funny. I don't know maybe it's people when you see him on the video. Uh, it's just intriguing to me that he would uh, find this uh, little ad about pastors' robes. Uh, you know, in, like he doesn't. When you look at him on the screen, he doesn't look like a guy who would who would take a keen interest. Uh, in clergy fashion uh, and, and uh, but you know what God does what God does and that's 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 pretty awesome kind of makes me realize I need to uh, dress more carefully when I'm up here uh, and so you're gonna praise the Lord for that but uh, Acts chapter 16 Acts chapter 16 will begin in verse 23 uh, the Apostles Paul and Silas are locked up in jail perfect setting for a Father's Day message and it's around midnight Uh, And they have been uh, severely beaten, handed over to the uh, head uh, jailer for safekeeping. And that's where we'll actually pick up the story in verse 24. So let's go to the text. Verse 24, having received this order, the head jailer put them into the inner prison. Now this would be the darkest, probably the filthiest part of the prison. And he fastened their feet in stocks. And this, this is not the, the, you know, the kind of stocks that you and your sister uh, put your feet in in Colonial Williamsburg so your parents could take a picture. These stocks uh, were, were perfect uh, instruments of torture. They, they could be uh, spread apart so that your legs were painfully wide and muscles would cramp and the, and the skin would get raw. So, so especially after the beatings, Um, This is a picture of of almost unspeakable uh, brutality, which makes the next verse all the more remarkable. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them and i I love that line. The prisoners were, I mean, the prisoners were listening to them. I mean that is a monster of understatement. I mean, can you imagine, you know just when you'd expect groans and 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 threats and curses, you know what the prisoners hear, from deep down in the darkest part of the dungeon of the prison, are Paul and Silas praying and and singing hymns to god. i'll I'll bet they were listening, right? this is this is a classic, I'll have what they're having a moment. Verse 26, look what happens. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for you're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in His house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, He and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. and he rejoiced along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. Wow, I mean, that just, just that last, that last line. He rejoiced along with all his entire household, that he had believed in God. God works. In surprising ways and unlikely people through unexpected moments to work miracles of grace and wonder and transformation. And, and we see that uh, this morning very vividly uh, in the person of this nameless uh, Philippian jailer. It's an incident that, that reminds us that, that sometimes, uh, you know, just in the providence of God, all it takes is the faith of one father to to start a chain reaction of love and and joy and redemption um, in an entire household and and, and, and beyond. Now, as we look at this story, the Philippian jail this morning, we're gonna make two very, very simple observations. The first one is this. The first is this. God can use a cave-in to build a house. God can use a cave-in to build a house. You know, just thinking when I walked into this beautiful new auditorium this morning, uh, all of Maggie's favorite TV shows nowadays are about home improvement and renovations. Uh, and, 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 And how many of you either live with someone who watches these shows or you yourself are a viewer? Let's see a show of hands. Okay, all right, yeah, it's intimidating. You know, I mean, you know how this works. People take a dilapidated, a tired old house, and they just turn it into a masterpiece of of open concept and white paint and and shiplap, Uh, which is actually a word I never uttered ever once in the first five decades of my life. I don't know how I did it. These shows uh, usually feature, as you know, some some, uh, uber-capable couple, generally marked by two traits. Number one, they're both very good-looking. Number two, the wife, an incredible mother, is also a brilliant designer, and the husband, kind of a brawny, you know, good old boy type, uh, can do anything in terms of home repair and and, and renovation. And I'll be honest, you know, when, when Maggie and I watch these shows together, I'm just overwhelmed by... Uh, a profound sense of inadequacy, uh, you know, I mean, I, I re- I'm just, you know, I mean, my proudest uh, do-it-yourself home improvement project was when I put a sump pump into the basement of our house, and I mean, I think it was beautiful, That thing it was beautiful, it, it worked, uh, but as much as I keep hoping HGTV might call me about doing a, a show, I realize there's not a huge demand uh, for an elderly bald guy using a jackhammer in the basement, uh, but uh, I've actually commented to Maggie that these shows uh, have have only confirmed to me what I had already come to uh, suspect, and that is that that what we need in our relationship is a third guy, uh, a third figure who could be our husband. And, uh, and, 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 and he would do all the work that we need done around the house. You know, he'd fix stuff for us and he'd do our taxes and he'd make sure the cars are in good repair and he'd book our hotels and our flights and, and he, he, he wouldn't have conjugal privileges, but, uh, but he just, he just, uh, just kind of do stuff, you know, so me and Maggie could kind of, you know, just enjoy uh, our life together. Right now we don't have a guy like that. We don't have that guy in our relationship. But what I've also noticed about all these shows, and maybe you have as well, in fact, one of the few jobs on the show I think I could actually do is they all begin with some element of demolition. They They all have a demo day. It's just everybody seems to understand that before there can be anything new, there has to be some demolition of the old. There has to be a demo day. We know very little about the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. He must have been a man of stern devotion uh, because verse 24 tells us that uh, having been given the order to keep Paul and Silas locked away, he put them in the innermost part of the prison. Uh, We can assume uh, he was probably a man of some accomplishment uh, because given his position as the head jailer, the head jailer, particularly for such important prisoners, uh, he was probably retired military. Uh, which means he was also probably a man of some confidence and, and, and some uh, capability. From what we see in the text, we know uh, also that he was a, a family man. So in a lot of ways, uh, he was kind of the prototype of the, of the you know, successful husband and father. I mean, clearly, at least on the surface, uh, he had built uh, a good life for himself and his family. The problem with a, a good life like that is that it can keep us from what Jesus describes in John chapter 10, verse 10, as the abundant life, the abundant life. And that's why the earthquake that day in Acts chapter 16 was probably one of the best things that ever happened to that Philippian jailer because but that, that, that cave-in shook him to his foundations. And we know from verse 27 when he regained consciousness and the dust and, and, and the chaos after the, after the earthquake that, that he just assumed all of his prisoners uh, had escaped. So he immediately grabs his sword with the intention of committing uh, suicide. Because for a Roman soldier it was simple. You lose your prisoner, you lose your life. So this wasn't just, you know, like a prison caving in. Was, this, was, this was a moment in which his life was caving in, just crashing down all around him. But oddly enough, um, in the dust and in the darkness, he apparently also had kind of a moment of clarity. Look at verse 28, because Paul cried out to him with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for you're all here, and somehow in that moment... He seemed to understand that whatever power and prestige he had as an officer in the empire's army, the most powerful empire on earth, it was nothing compared to the power and authorities these guys had as agents of the kingdom of God. And so we see in verse 30, what does he do? He comes over and he falls trembling before Paul and Silas and says, verse 30, what must I do to be saved? Now, it's true. We don't, we don't know exactly what he meant with those words. We don't know if he meant like, you know, how can I keep, you know, my superiors from punishing me or how can I keep these prisoners from, from killing me? Or, or maybe he did mean it in some kind of spiritual way like, how can I have what, what, what you guys have? But in some ways, I think that's probably just the point. Like, he, he didn't even know for sure what it meant. He just understood this, I'm a desperate man. I'm a desperate man, and these men offer my best and only hope in this person called Jesus, which is precisely the pattern we see over and over again in Scripture. We saw it last week, right, with the Phoenician woman. You know, there's a lot of stuff this guy didn't understand, but there was one absolute critical truth he had come to understand, and that is he was in desperate need. In all of his training and the perks and the privileges of his rank and the so-called deities that were worshiped all around him in pagan Rome culture, they were not able to bring about his rescue. And Paul and Silas told him the one hope he had, the one hope you have is in the Lord Jesus. The one hope you have is in the Lord Jesus. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it, 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 it took an earthquake to expose all the kind of fragile man-made successes uh, in this guy's life so that God could break open the door to his heart. And in a way, it's literally what the text says in verse 27. This, this earthquake kind of shook this man awake. And that's often the way God works. That's often what God does. He uses the cave-in to build the house. And I mentioned this this morning because I suspect there are some of us here today. There are some of us here today who need to take a long look at this picture. Maybe, maybe you're a father here today and you're, you know, you're doing everything right. You're playing by all the rules. On the surface, it all looks good. But on the inside, you know. You know. You may be the only one who knows, but you know, you are deeply aware that your marriage, your health, your family, your career, your relationship with your kids, everything you hold dear is on shaky ground. Uh, The earthquake may be caused by a shakeup at work. uh, Maybe it's the lab test that comes back with bad news. Maybe some struggles with one of your kids. But earthquakes have a way of waking us up from our false securities. Or maybe for some of us here this morning, uh, the earthquake has already happened um, in, in your life. and You're here this morning in, in the dust, kind of up to your neck in the rubble of a, of a broken marriage or broken dreams, uh, and in the darkness and the discouragement, you're standing there with Philippian jailer wondering, is there, is there any hope at all? Or maybe you're here this morning and and everything looks good on the outside. Like it looks fantastic. just Because you've been able to kind of prop up the roof with deceptions and, and empty promises. And for now, it all looks very impressive. But you know, you know, you are one earthquake away from disaster. The good news of this passage in Acts chapter 16 is that God can use the tremors and the earthquakes in our life to build a brand new structure of hope and promise. This jailer thought his life was over. He was, he was ready to give up on everything. He had no idea there was the possibility of a new beginning, but sometimes that's what it takes, isn't it? Now, like it's not until we're brought low that we're forced to look up into the face of God. Uh, Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. If you're here this morning... And you're wondering if it's too late for God to build something new in your, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your, in your career, in your family. Let me assure you this morning, God can take the rubble of our pride and our plans, and he can rebuild it into something completely new. And don't just take you know, my word for it. Take it from the glass family. Take it from the zip family. But it starts with demolition. It starts with demolition. Jesus describes it this way in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. We have to die to self. We have to die to self, crucify the self. It, it, it's, it's the recognition that the dust and the mess of my life is because I've tried to build according to my own plans and blueprints. And I've turned my back on the one God who himself is the architect of all life. This is what the Bible means when it talks about confessing, when can talk about confessing sin. It's just like the Philippian jailer, right? He, he doesn't mean you understand everything about Christianity, or that you have a total grasp on what happens next or even what's happening now. But it begins with a very simple prayer to God, what must I do to be saved? And this man discovered that night that he didn't need to kill himself but he did need to die to self because there's nothing he could do for his own salvation. Salvation, brothers and sisters, men and women, it is a gift of God through Jesus' death on the cross. It is a gift of grace. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus Christ. Our Lord, so, so here's some good news for you um, on Father's Day 2021. God can use a cave-in to build a house. God can use a cave-in to build a house. But the real miracle of that, that crazy night is how the faith of this Philippian jailer then sort of set off this chain reaction of life and love that impacted the members of his entire family. Uh, household. That's the second observation uh, we want to make this morning. God can use a father to inspire a family. God can use a father to inspire a family. You know, one of the most basic principles of parenting is what I call the ethos principle. The ethos principle. The ethos principle simply says that who we are is more important than what we say. Who we are is more important than what we say. It's rooted actually in a concept first developed by Aristotle who wrote that in any kind of communication, there are three basic elements of communication. So the first part is the ethical element. Uh, that's ethos. That's the speaker's part. That's the person doing the speaking. Secondly, is the emotional element of communication. That's pathos. That's the listener's part. And then thirdly, there is the logical element of communication. Uh, that's the logos. That's the, that's the actual message itself. So, so, for example, when I'm speaking to teenagers, um, I actually think about these three elements in terms of questions that the kids are sort of thinking in their minds, asking me in their minds. Like the first question is... Why should I listen to you? Why should I listen to you, right? That's ethos. Second question, do you really care about me when you're speaking up there? Do you really know my questions? Do you really care about my hurts and my hopes? Do you understand me? That's pathos. That's the emotional element. And then finally, why should I listen to this information? Why why should I listen to you up there? You know, what does this have to do with my life anyway? That's That's logos. That's logos. And, and of course, to be thorough, I've learned uh, in speaking to teenagers over the years, that there are three additional questions that are also pretty fundamental. Number one, uh, when are you going to stop speaking so we can have snacks? That's free toss. Uh And, and then, uh, you know, why is your breath so nasty after you speak? That's mentos. And then, uh, how come you don't have any hair, which is wise awesome. Well, the, the most basic uh, lesson of, uh, of fatherhood. Uh, motherhood grandparenthood, or, or, or just sharing your faith in the hood is that if we want to communicate faith to our families it is the ethos the it is the ethical message that always speaks the loudest we can't read this passage in Acts 16 without noticing the profound impact that this father's newfound faith had on his family Paul and Silas told him in verse 31 let's look at the text believe in the Lord Jesus And you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. I mean, just just the way Luke writes it in Acts 16, the words almost kind of gush out. He sounds almost, you know, breathless. There's an excitement in in the words. It's like he's doing, you know, play-by-play for this, like, sudden death uh, overtime game. You know, what you see in these verses, though, is just over and over a contagion of joy in this jailer's newfound faith. We don't know what he was like that day, that, that, you know, when he set out from the house uh, ready to kind of pull the evening shift over at the jail. But it's pretty clear by the time he got back home early the next morning, his family saw a changed man, a changed man. And it wasn't just what he said, it was the ethos. It was, it was what they saw in his life. Immediately, they saw and heard his hunger for the word of the Lord. Look at verse 32. That They saw him translate that, that devotion into service. So when he washed the wounds of Paul and Silas, verse 33. Then they saw his obedience when he chose to be baptized. They saw him practice hospitality when he set food before Paul and, and Silas, uh, verse 34. And most of all, uh, the latter part of verse 34, this is my favorite. What they saw in their father and husband was an unexplainable, authentic joy. Not because everything was going to be smooth and easy for him, because in some ways, right, life had just become much more complicated. Right there, there were still hard questions he had about his job and about the about the possible loss of prestige. But I wonder if, in some ways, that even made his joy more profound, because they understood this is a guy who once was lost, but he's been found. He's been found, and of course what we see in verse 34 is that that father's faith was an inspiration to his entire household. Look, if you're a if you're a dad here this morning or you're a mom here this morning or an aunt or an uncle or grandma or grandpa, if you want to know how to impact your household, this passage is a very good place to start. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that this, you know, the scripture isn't promising, that, that all we have to do is live faithful lives for Jesus and our families will all uh, immediately come to Christ. We all know that's not true. I've been in ministry long enough to see fathers who I thought were doing everything right And their children uh, appeared uh, to walk away from the faith. But what this passage does remind us is the impact of faithful parents who authentically and intentionally live out their love for Jesus. Whether that father is a a pagan jailer uh, in the country of Philippi, uh, or a Syrophoenician woman who's worried about her daughter, or a Texas dad who simply opens a mailer from a local church with this intriguing little ad about pastor's robes. The chain reaction of one changed life. That's interesting, isn't it? The last verse in the text is, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he, that he had believed. One of the, one of the best known of the i think tv home remodeling couples are Ben and Erin Napier of uh, HGTV's Hometown uh, those of you who watch the show uh, are familiar with the premise of the show is that Ben and Aaron essentially renovate properties in their hometown of Laurel, Mississippi. It's one of Maggie's favorite shows, and it's pretty good. Like I, I've, I've even been tempted to offer my services if they ever need somebody to, to do a sump pump. But, uh, but if you watch the show, uh, you, you probably know that Ben and Aaron are both Christians, In fact, uh, just talk about chain reactions on the providence of God. You know what Ben Napier was doing before they started the show, Hometown? For 10 years, he'd served as the youth pastor of First Methodist Church in Laurel, Mississippi. And and in the letter he wrote to the church when he resigned from that position, uh, he explained that he was leaving the work only because he wanted to help Erin kind of chase this crazy dream she had of doing interior design. And you know, the day after he wrote that letter of resignation, Erin got a phone call from a producer at HGTV asking if she'd ever considered doing a TV show. And that phone call gave birth to the show, Hometown. Those of you who watch the show know that one of the guiding premises of Hometown, as Ben and Erin put it, is this, every house has a redemption story. Every house has a redemption story. And What's the amazing about this episode in, in Acts chapter 16 is it makes vividly clear that this could be true for every house represented right here in this room. Whether you're here this morning for the first time, or, or maybe you've been coming for a while, or maybe you just kind of clicked on us this morning for the very first time, and, and you're sort of watching online, your home can have a redemption story story. It begins with humble confession. It's just admitting that, that we don't have the wisdom or the grace or, or, the, or the love or the patience to build the kind of life or the kind of family or the kind of marriage that, that God calls us to and that all of us long for. We know that. We need to be saved. We need to be, we need to be saved. And, and, and that this inadequacy is rooted in our sin. It's in our sin, our unwillingness to worship and obey God. It's not just stuff we do. It's who we are. And then the wages of sin is death. It's death. That, that, that eventually sin will cause everything to cave in. Maybe in one dramatic moment or maybe it's just going to happen little by little by little over time. But it will eventually all come crashing down. And that Jesus saves us from the darkness and despair by taking the fall. He died on the cross to take upon himself the death debt that we owe for our sin. And then inviting us to rise again to a whole new life and become a part of his family, the church, so that we can be stronger together. What a a great day, Father's Day, to discover that kind of story. Would you bow your head with me, please? Because I believe God's spirit is working in this room as he has over all these years. Just because we've done a renovation in the building doesn't mean that somehow God's ready to stop doing renovation of our hearts. This is gonna be a whole new building project, a whole new work, but you gotta give him the whole thing. You can't just give him one little room, one little piece, one little area. Lord Jesus, you see us here today you see these folks who are seated in front of me and you know what's thinking in their heads, what kind of thoughts are there. Maybe a sense of rubble and disaster. Maybe they see the darkness. Maybe there's a sense of despair or maybe sort of like David Zipp said, they I think they're doing pretty good at making this thing work. But Lord, would you, by your grace, come to us. Help us to say, Lord, what do I need to be saved? Confess our sin recognize that our sin has blocked us off from your life and thank you lord that because jesus died on the cross we exchange our death for his life and he rose again so that he can live in us by his holy spirit lord thank you for this great great truth on this father's day thank you for the grace thank you for a loving father in heaven we pray this in the name of your son jesus And everybody said, amen, amen.